Glad to see me this morning. Want to begin with, um, let's see, let's look at the, the Gospel of Luke chapter 19 together. Uh, we still will hand out supplies to our, for our kids' ministry after this gathering outside the theater. There's a drive-by kind of drop-off for Promised Land supplies for our Emmaus kids, so that's still happening. It's really weird. Stay at home for church and then come to church after church for the, for the goods, all right? Hey, let's look at Luke 19 to start this morning. This is beginning with verse 29. <clears throat> this is Luke's account of what happened to Jesus today about 2,000 years ago. Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, say, the Lord needs it. Some people see in that some sort of a prearranged signal. And other people see in that little bit an example of just the, the sheer authority of the words of Christ. And, and this is what happens. Verse 32, those who were sent ahead went and they found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt. They put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, they said. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Today I'll share a brief message with you about disappointment reality, and the critical choice that each one of us must make. All right? So let's start with disappointment. As you know, disappointment happens when we have certain specific expectations, but those expectations are not met. They are not realized. And these unrealized expectations, they have an effect on us. It's like they leave a void in our heart. We say, I wanted this to happen, but, but it didn't happen. And so there's this void. I was, I was looking forward to this, and then this didn't take place. And there's this void. I was looking for, I thought this was going to happen. I invested time here, planning here, money here, resources, energy, hope here. But it's not happening. And what we, we call that void disappointment. The word apparently, disappointment, is actually a French word, which means to be removed from an appointed position. Like you were disappointed. Uh, it might be sort of similar to what we mean when we say you were disinvited. Like I thought I was going to be in this experience. I thought this was going to be the role I would play on the team. I thought my spring would look like this. I thought it was going to kind of roll out like this, but it's all been taken away from me. Some of you were disinvited from your own high school or college graduation ceremonies this week. And there's a disappointment there. Right? You prepared. You worked. You, you, you studied. You invested. People have purchased, and now it's canceled, and it's, 
it's not going to happen anymore. And you feel disappointed. I imagine one of the most common experiences happening around the world today is disappointment. And we could get into comparing whose disappointment is more intense than somebody else's. That's, that would totally miss the point. Most, if not all of us, feel disappointed in something this morning. And for each of us, that's a big deal. That matters. Almost every night in our family calendar right now, there's a baseball game in the calendar. And it's not happening. And we're disappointed about that. My boys worked hard, they tried out, they made teams, they earned positions, they're ready to play baseball, and it's canceled, it's not happening. And there's a disappointment associated with that. My daughter, like so many kids, was in her first year of college, away and on her own, great friends, great classes, enjoying some of the best days of her life, canceled. And there's deep disappointment associated with that. We have friends who started businesses at the beginning of March. They invested everything. They put years of hope and dream and design into a bit, and now it's not happening, and they're so disappointed. Weddings have been postponed. Meaningful family vacations are on hold. Now, of course, life includes disappointment. That's just part of regular life. It happens all of the time. It's just part of the way things go. And I also realize that there's a whole host of other kinds of tragedies associated with what we're all going through. But I wonder if in the craziness of all the last three weeks, as we've simply been trying to figure out how we're going to do life, have we processed our disappointments at all? Have we as parents provided that safe place to come and to be able to talk about this thing that we all were looking forward to experiencing, but now it's it's not happening. What about you? I want to invite you to take a minute to share with those that you're gathering with in your homes this morning and just complete this sentence. I'm disappointed about this. I was looking forward to this. I was expecting this. It's not happening. And I feel disappointment about this. Take a minute and go around your living room and give people a chance to just briefly answer that question. And if you're watching and participating in this time solo, then please send a message to somebody on staff here or to a friend and just articulate that. I'm disappointed about this. You know, expectations are such a powerful force. Expectations, they move us like nothing else. Imagine you're in a house, you're in a room with, say, 20 people, maybe 15 or 20 people. Imagine you've all shared dinner together, and now dinner's over. And then suddenly from another room comes someone, and they are holding a cake Imagine they're holding a cake out in front of them as they walk into the room and they say, okay, everybody, and on the top of the cake are candles and the candles are lit. What do you expect the first words out of their mouth to be? What are the first two words they're going to say after saying, okay, everybody, and they're holding this cake? 
right? Feliz Navidad. No, that's totally silly. Not Feliz, no. Uh, Amazing Grace. No, that's not it. They're going to say happy birthday, right? Of course, that's, there's this whole scene. It's a very specific set of expectations. We all know what's supposed to happen next. We've built this tradition. We've built this level of expectation. There are these signals. They clue us in to what is about to happen. Everybody in the world knows what happens next when somebody walks in with a cake and there's candles and they're lit and they get everybody's attention. Everybody takes the big breath and they know the song. And when we know or we think we know what's going to happen next and then it doesn't happen next, man, it's totally disorienting. It throws everything into a little bit of a chaos. It's confusing. We scrunch our faces. We're like, what? What? That's not going to happen? That this means that's not going to happen? And we say it's not supposed to go like this. We, we may even feel a sense of disappointment. When Jesus rides into Jerusalem, the people are shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They're waving palm branches. They're putting their cloaks down like a red carpet on the road. People know what's going to happen next. They've got a whole lot of expectations. There are very few days in the Christian year where we know what, hap- what happened to Jesus on that day. But today we know the Sunday before the Passover feast, which is Thursday of this week, the Sunday before the Sunday of the resurrection, which is next Sunday. We know what Jesus is doing. And according to the gospel accounts, Jesus enters into Jerusalem, which is full of faithful Jewish pilgrims and have gathered from all over the world to celebrate this festival. And they are full of expectation. The only thing we have in our culture that comes close to this is like the 4th of July weekend, where everybody knows essentially what we're talking about. Everybody gets sort of the the traditional celebratory behaviors, the fireworks and things like that, except the Jews are celebrating not independence from England. They're celebrating independence from England. Egypt, they're celebrating, to be more specific, being freed from slavery in another country. And they're celebrating that. And into this scene, it is just pregnant with expectation, rides Jesus. And we don't see, because most of us don't understand all of their cultural clues, but Jesus is checking all the boxes. He is appealing to a well-established tradition and lore. The timing, check. The route, check. The palm branches laid before him, check. The words people are saying are right out of Psalm 118. It's like he is fulfilling a script that they've been learning for a thousand years. They know what's going to happen next. Everything in this scene shouts triumph and victory and revolution. Things have been going really badly for the Jewish people for a whole long time. I can't read that. Okay, we were off? Good. Uh, Right. Going badly. That's what I was talking about. Things have been going badly for the Jews for a really long time. But now it looks like Jesus is going to turn things around. And even though this is a scene of celebration, if you've read this story before, you know that it ends in disappointment. People's expectations are not realized. What most people want is to see something like this. Do we have the slides? Sweet. 
Jesus riding into Jerusalem like a conquering warrior, ready to reestablish the kingdom of David. He is going to throw down and free the Jewish people from this Egyptian-like oppression now being experienced in Rome. What most people want to see is something like this picture, Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a war horse. But he's not riding a war horse, is he? No, he, he's riding a tiny little donkey. And we're, we're used to seeing pictures of Jesus riding on a donkey. So it doesn't look too weird to us. In fact, the paintings make it look sort of regal and peaceful. But it would have been super strange in that context. I can imagine people standing back watching the parade go by, the, the palm branches, the cloaks on the ground, all the cheering going, yeah, this is all about... What? What's with the donkey? Like, what, that's not what I expected to see. I expected something, but that is not what I expected to see. That is not what I wanted to see. Seeing Jesus on a donkey may have looked something like this. Like seeing Jesus ride in on a little tiny bicycle or something. We would have been like, wait, it all works except that. What's he doing on the bike? That just looks good. I'm feeling like a little disappointment may be coming on because this is not what I expected to happen. All right. Secondly, let's talk about reality. Let's talk about the way it is. Let's talk about what's real. Let's talk about what's actually happening now. What's actually happening in this scene in the life of Jesus is this. He is triumphing. Okay, he is rolling in to battle. He's about to defeat sin and death once and for all. That's what's real. Jesus is riding into battle, but before the week is over, he's going to be all alone in this battle. The cheering crowds will change and will begin to call for their crucifixion. His faithful disciples will flee in fear. Why? Because Jesus didn't meet their expectations. Because this is not what we planned for. This is not what we've been hoping for. This is not what we came to Jerusalem to see. This is not what we want. And even in the midst of the triumphal entry, all the joy and the celebrating that we read about today, it's already beginning to turn and Jesus begins to hear criticism. Here's what the Pharisees in the crowd say. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. It's not supposed to look like this, Jesus. The Messiah is not supposed to be a carpenter's son, not supposed to be somebody who welcomes sinners and ate with people like that. This isn't the way the Messiah is supposed to roll into Jerusalem. This isn't the way sin is supposed to be defeated. So tell your disciples to stop talking. But here's what's actually happening. Despite the criticism, despite the way it works, or despite the way it looks, Jesus is rescuing the world. People just don't like the way he's doing it. Okay. Here's what's true. Jesus is the Lord, but people, they're not willing to accept it. Not like this. So what do we do when reality is just too hard to accept, just too disappointing to embrace? We reject it. That's what we do. We reject it. 
We deny it. No, 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 no. We discredit it. We call it fake. We dig in our heels. We say, nope, not, that's not going to happen to me. We try to fight against the reality that we don't want to accept. This is what we see the Pharisees doing in this story of Jesus' procession into Jerusalem. They have one line in the whole story, and their line is, Jesus, tell your disciples to shut up. In other words, they're calling you king, man. That is so off. They're, they're, they're claiming that you're the Messiah of God. They're celebrating you as the son of God, the true savior of the world. That is ridiculous, Jesus. That's heresy, Jesus. Tell them to be quiet. And the implication in the Pharisees' words is clearly you're not, Jesus. Clearly you're not what they're saying you are. So rebuke them, Jesus. Tell your disciples to be quiet. To which Jesus responds, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Now, what is Jesus saying? He's saying that he is the Messiah. He is the son of the one true and living God. He will be praised. He will be worshiped. And if people will not do the worshiping, then the rocks will do the worshiping. Rocks, right? Not birds, rocks. Not the sound of rushing waters or the beautiful sound of wind through the tree. Rocks. In other words, the claim that Jesus is God is so true, so real, that it will be proclaimed throughout the universe by even the least likely of objects, even the most inanimate elements in creation. Rocks. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the King of Kings. That's reality. That's the way it is. It doesn't matter if you like it or not, okay? It doesn't matter if it looks the way you expected it to look, if this spring is working out, you hope the way it would work out. Whether you agree or disagree with what Jesus is doing is totally irrelevant. <laughs> it's the way it is. And by the way, Jesus is Lord, right? Which brings us to the critical choice that we all must make. And if you're like me, you probably need to make this choice every day. You might, make, you might need to make this choice several times throughout the day. What is the choice? The choice is whether I'm going to worship Jesus or I'm going to worship something else, okay? The critical question is, Will we worship Jesus now? But I'm, I'm, I'm so disappointed. I know. I know. And your disappointment is probably justified. So now what? What will you do in the midst of your disappointment? How will you respond? With denial? With despair? Or will you worship? Will you keep quiet? Or will you choose to worship? We have examples, and they are not lightweight examples who have gone before us. One example, Job, famous for what? Losing everything. Family and fortune. What's Job's line? The Lord gives, the Lord takes away, 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job experienced deep, deep disappointment, and Job chooses to worship God. Another example, King David, who fasts and pleads with God to save the life of his infant son. But then when the son dies, David gets up off the floor, washes himself, goes into the house of God and worships. David experiences terrible disappointment. And David chooses to worship God. I don't know anybody who hoped the world would be paralyzed by a virus. I don't know anybody who didn't have some kind of plans or hope adjusted or canceled or isn't disappointed at some level in this season. I don't know anybody who feels like life is easier now than it was a month ago or feels like it's more secure now than it was a month ago. So what will we do? Will we choose to respond to our unmet expectations, to our real disappointments by worshiping God? And I'm not talking about false happiness, and I'm not talking about putting a smile on your face. I'm not talking about something saccharine and surface. And No, I'm talking about something way grittier than that. I'm talking about something way more practical and way more real life than that. We are talking about ultimate reality and whether or not we will align our lives with that. And to say by God's grace, in the face of unmet expectations, in the face of real disappointment, I will worship God. I will not be overcome by my disappointment. I will not turn away from God in this time of pain. I will take my place in the choir. No rock, no other thing will replace me in the company of heaven, which will forever proclaim the reality that Jesus is Lord. The company of heaven, which is forever proclaiming the hymn, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Friends, this is reality and we have a choice. And Jesus says, if you keep quiet, the stones are going to cry out. Friends, we're in a, we're in a battle and it's a very real battle, and it's going to get harder before it gets easier. And the adversity that will face us will feel like a rebuke to our faith. The adversity is going to feel like a reprimand to your joy. The adversity is going to feel like a public shaming of your hope. The temptation may be to just keep quiet. But if we keep quiet, the stones themselves will cry out. Why? Because Jesus is worthy of worship. He is worthy of our praise. And so may God give us the grace that we need in this challenging season to worship him authentically, 
genuinely with our whole hearts, depending on his love and mercy, but refusing to be silenced, refusing to give in to despair and the disappointment that says, ah, you know what, you shouldn't have put your hope here in the first place, and instead offering our whole hearts to God in worship. Amen? Amen. Well, friends, may the peace of Christ be always with you. I invite you to take a minute with those that you're gathered with and give them a big hug and just extend the love and the peace of Christ with them. God bless you.